Well, before we get started this morning, I, uh, let me have just a little commercial. Uh, for the last few years, I guess, three or four years, uh, we have been promoting a book of the year, and we recognize that not everyone can sit around and read books all the time, but we've just challenged the church corporately said, hey, what if we picked one book and everybody in the church read through it? Uh, last year was The Prayer Coach, and I think uh, lots of folks read through that book. And then we, uh, a lot of our life groups actually went to that Prayer Coach study. So uh, book of the year for, for 2015 uh, is called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And this is not a new book, and I know there's a temptation sometimes to uh, look at the newest book out, the most exciting book out. I call it The uh, Prayer of Jabez and all. I can remember that when that came out, everybody had to have that book. And so this is not a new book, but let me tell you, this is a classic, and it is an apt description of the Christian life, uh, along obedience in the same directions, written by Eugene Peterson. Uh, many of you have read his paraphrase of the Bible called The Message, and so it's written by Eugene Peterson. Uh, these are available to be our book of the year at Mission Central. Uh, they are $15 or two for 40 and so stop by and pick one of those up. Someone just wrote a check for $40. So, hey, listen, several months ago, I uh, shared a, a brief quote with you from uh, Joni Erickson Tata, in which she expressed that her greatest anticipation of going to heaven was not the ability to walk again. She's a quadriplegic. Uh, she said, the greatest excitement when I think about heaven is finally being free from my sins. It's just incredibly powerful perspective. Uh, Joni was injured in 1967 in a diving accident as a 17-year-old and became a quadriplegic. And Joni now leads a worldwide ministry uh, primarily focusing on the disabled uh, called Joni and Friends. And so in preparing for the message today for a new series we're starting called Living Hope, uh, I came across a booklet that Joni had written called Making Sense of Suffering. And I'd like to share with you a little bit of her introduction from the booklet. I, I quote, Scripture is constantly telling us to view life from an eternal perspective. What is temporal, such as physical pain, will not endure, but what is lasting, such as the eternal weight of glory accrued from that pain, will remain forever. Everything else, numbing heartache, deep disappointment, circumstances out of our control, everything else, no matter how real it seems to us on earth, is said to be light and momentary compared to what our response is producing for us in heaven, according to 2 Corinthians 4. She said, this kind of nonchalance about gut-wrenching suffering used to drive me crazy. Stuck in a wheelchair, I wondered, Lord, how in the world can you consider my troubles light and momentary? I will never walk or run again. I will never use my hands. My back aches. I'm trapped. Maybe you see all of this achieving eternal glory, but all I see is one awful day after the next in a life in this stinking wheelchair is what she wrote. She said, my pain screamed for an individual attention, making me anxious to find a quick fix or an escape hatch. She said, but somewhere after the first five years of being in my wheelchair, I noticed a change in my attitude toward hardships. She said, I was beginning to see how my quadriplegia was working for my good and God's glory. Uh, simply put, she said it was actually helping me become more like Christ. Now, when I read that this week, I've just got to be honest with you. I just thought, how, how does someone get to that place in light of her circumstance? How does a person get to that place in their spiritual journey? And I don't think you and I will ever fully understand it unless we walk a similar road or have a similar type of experience. We may not fully understand it. Uh, but one of the most important things is that you have to understand, and she gives testimony in her booklet, uh, that you have to understand that from the Bible's perspective, a biblical theology of suffering. And so let me invite you to take your Bibles and turn to First Peter for the first message in a series uh, that we are calling Living Hope. Several years ago, uh, when Joel Osteen first started getting really popular, uh, I cannot tell you how many times I fielded a question along the lines of, uh, is he preaching the truth? 
And so my answer then is the same I would give today. And I say, well, you know what, for the most part, yes, but the problem is it's not the whole truth. And what I mean by that is this, is that you and I can believe with God and agree with God for our best life now. But that does not change the fact that you and I are going to experience suffering. And you can be as positive as you want. You can name it and claim it to the contrary. But that does not change the reality from all of our real life personal experience that life can be hard. Life is full of trials. And you and I are going to experience seasons of suffering in the midst of your best life now. And so uh, partner that with the teaching uh, with the American dream version of Christianity, which says this, that you do right by God and God will do right by you. And what happens is you take all of those things together in our culture and you have people filling up churches and in our communities, and in our lives who, when the bottom falls out, they don't know what to do. They don't know why that happened. I don't understand that I was doing this. And so God was supposed to do this and, and God allowed that. And so is God there? Does God love me? All those kinds of things. And the end result, because they've never been taught what the Bible teaches regarding suffering, is that they end up either A, bitter, or B, uh, they end up disillusioned with the faith altogether. And so uh, a biblical theology of suffering is incredibly important. And that's what First Peter talks about, not just suffering, uh, but suffering well. And the reason we often don't understand the idea of what the scripture teaches and the reality of seasons of suffering is quite simple. It doesn't sell tickets like, like nobody's out there saying, hey, my church is going to talk about suffering. You should come with me. It's going to be so uplifting and motivating. Right. But here's my conviction that real life needs to have the real word of God applied to it. Or this book I hold is completely useless. It's a motivational book. It's a fairy tale. Whatever. But if it doesn't work in real life, then it's not true. But I'm under the conviction this morning that I am holding in my hands the very words of God. And therefore, because they're true, they should work in real life, even in seasons of suffering. They should sustain us and give wisdom uh, into our lives. And so um, normally when I start a series through a book, and we're going to walk all the way through First uh, Peter, the next it's going to be a nine week series. Normally I start off and I give the context and say, here's the historical context. And because the reason is you don't understand the, the context and you can't understand the text. And if you don't understand the text, you can't get what everyone wants, which is the application. Right. Help me. How does this work on Monday mornings? All that kind of stuff. And so normally I do that at the start to kind of set the whole context of a book for a few minutes. But but I'm not going to do that this time. I'm going to save that for next week, because here's why I want to start off this series kind of looking uh, from 30,000 feet and say, what does the Bible teach regarding suffering? And, and what, what is, what, how does God use suffering? And, and why does suffering happen? And then we're going to get at the end, spend a few minutes actually in First Peter uh, chapter 1. So if that sounds like a plan, say amen. Good, because that's what I was planning to do anyway. So that works out really, uh, really well. So uh, let me just give you some basic principles regarding uh, regarding suffering. And I'm going to give you scripture with every single one of these because because uh, I'm not Dr. Phil. OK, I'm preaching from the wisdom of God's word. So I want you to understand that whatever I tell you this morning as it relates to suffering is found in the all sufficient word of God. And when I talk about suffering, well, let, let me give a little context. We all understand suffering, do we not? We've all experienced it at some degree, some more than others. But when we talk about suffering, well, what exactly uh, do I mean by that? It means when we go through a season of suffering, uh, we don't our hope is not diminished. Our faith is not weakened. It's suffering in such a way that it doesn't produce bitterness or habitual complaining to anyone who will listen. It is suffering in such a way that when people who are aware of what's going on in our lives see the way that we're walking through it and the fact that our hope is not diminished and our faith is actually strengthened and our joy is not lessened, it piques the curiosity of both the saved and the unsaved so that we can have a conversation about the Lord's living hope in our lives. 
And so that's what we mean when we talk about suffering well for the glory of God, because we're all going to suffer. That's not the question. The question is, are we going to do it for the glory of God or are we going to become bitter at all the things God has allowed into our lives? So. I'm just going to give you kind of bullet points, some big picture kind of guide rails of what the Bible teaches as it relates to suffering. And I'll give you some scripture with each one. And then we'll talk a little about why God actually allows suffering. And we'll spend a little time in the text this morning. Okay, so here's the first thing I want you to understand from from the big picture kind of view of what God teaches on this subject is that suffering well is a witness to the unsaved. And most folks will say, I'd love to have more gospel conversations. I'd love for more people to ask about my faith. Listen, one of the things that opens up the door of conversation is that when people who don't know Christ see you walking through something incredibly difficult, they see your joy remains, your hope remains, your faith increases. They want to know why they want to say what's going on. There's something different about you. And so how are you walking through this? And so first Peter chapter three, verse 15 says this, always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks. Now, often we take that verse and use it as an apologetics verse, defend the faith and give an answer why you believe in all those things. That may be a secondary application, but the primary application, listen to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. And so you'd be able to say, well, I don't understand. I'm watching you walk through this. And you're encouraged, you're all these things. And he said, let me give you a reason of the hope that resides in me. So suffering well is a witness to the unsaved. Uh, Suffering well is an encouragement uh, to the saved. And that happens in two ways. Scripture says, uh, first off, your example strengthens their faith. That they watch you walking through. They see the Lord at work in your life. They see his word and his spirit sustaining you. It, It encourages them to go in their journey. Philippians chapter one says this. But I want you to know, brethren... That the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Yes, I suffered, but God used it so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and all the rest that my chains are in Christ. Now listen to verse 14. And most of the brethren in the Lord, so he's talking about Christians, have become confident by my chains and they're much more bold to speak the word without fear. And so the testimony says they watched me suffer through this in such a way that honored God and my hope wasn't diminished. It actually made them bolder uh, in their testimony. And so your example strengthens their faith. Uh, Scripture also teaches uh, you can encourage the saved because you're now in a position to comfort them. Uh, Tosh and I have uh, four four children, and uh, so so. But in between having those four children, uh, Tosh had two miscarriages, and so that's a difficult thing. Many of you have walked through that, and so folks ministered to us, encouraged us, prayed for us when that, when that happened. But it was a, but it was a little bit different thing when someone would send a note and say, "We've been there, we've walked through that with you. We listen, we understand, and here's what God did in our lives." It placed them in a position to comfort us that otherwise, apart from that experience that they never prayed for or wanted, but apart from that experience, they couldn't have comforted us at the same level. Scripture teaches that's one of the reasons God uh, suffers, allows us to suffer. Second Corinthians chapter one says this. Blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our tribulation. Here's why I listen that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. And so he says one of the reasons God, God allows it, God uses it, is that, you know, I wasn't looking for it. I certainly wasn't praying for it. Like, listen, I've been doing this 14 years. In 14 years, no one's ever came into my office and said, you know what? Things are going a little too well. I'd like for you to join me and pray that I, pray with me that the Lord might send suffering my way, right? No one ever prays that prayer. So you don't have to look for suffering, but can I tell you, it will find you. 
And when it does, when you walk through that, and the Lord sustains you. The scripture says it's so that you can comfort others walking a similar journey as you, if you're willing to share uh, what the Lord did in your suffering. So suffering well is an encouragement uh, to the saved. Suffering uh, is a part of following Christ. That, listen, that is the truth of Christ. That is biblical Christianity. That, that when you sign up to follow Christ, it's not about your life gets easier, it's more joy, it's happy. All those are byproducts. Yes, God can provide those things. But listen, when you sign up to follow Christ, you're signing up for some seasons of suffering. So, so don't be disillusioned when it comes your way. No matter what they're preaching on TV, that if you just, you know, everything's going to be fantastic, you will still walk through seasons of suffering following the Lord. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3 says this, No one should be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. And he's talking about suffering. And lastly, Scripture teaches in the big picture uh, that suffering deepens your faith. And there are some experiences. Listen, if we were around the room and this, this became interactive and you began to share some things. Here's, here's an area that I suffer in. Here's a season of suffering I was walking in the past. Here's a season of suffering that I'm currently in. That, that some of you got bitter and you kind of drew away from the Lord. You, you're a little bit discouraged this morning if you're honest. But some of you say, you know what? I would have never prayed for that. I would have never wished that on my worst enemy, this, this health situation or this financial crowd, whatever it was. But I can tell you this, that having walked through it, I can tell you that when God says his mercies are new every morning, I just don't know that. I've experienced it. That when God talks about he sustains us, I just don't know that. I've experienced it. That when the word of God and the spirit of God ministers us and comforts us, I just don't know that theoretically. I've experienced it. And I would not have known that apart from that season of suffering, even though I never would have wished it on my worst enemy. One of my favorite passages that describes this suffering deepening our faith is a very familiar passage, 2 Corinthians 12. Paul's writing this says, unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. Something that irritated. And there's a lot of this debate about what those. I think the text answers what it was because he says the next thing. A messenger of Satan to buffet me. I think it was a false, false teacher. It's another sermon. He said, lest I be exalted. He said, Concern, concerning the thing, I plead with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. Paul is incredibly human. Paul's saying, Lord, this hurts. This is uncomfortable. This is irritating. If you just take this thing away from me. And here was God's answer. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And some of you know that verse and some of you have lived that verse. The Lord took you to a deeper place. You would have never known what that truly meant unless you would have walked through a season of suffering in your life. And so that's kind of a partial listing of how suffering can be used for God's glory. It's not a totalist, but it's kind of a partialist. But, but here's my experience. Like, like for most folks, the, the agony of walking through a season of suffering is not so much how can God use this or, or, or those kinds of things. But for most people, the most difficult question is not how. The most difficult question is why? Why now? And why me? And why, why, why this circumstance? And, and God, I've been doing this right and you'd allow this and I don't understand why. Now, let me just tell you something incredibly, incredibly important. So if you're listening, say amen. Sometimes you will never understand God's purpose and plan for seasons of suffering in your life on this side of eternity. It's like a tapestry where all we see is the backside and all the loose things. And on the other side, God is making something incredibly beautiful. But you can only see that side of the tapestry from his perspective in heaven. So sometimes you will not fully understand. You say, what do I do in those times? Like I've, I've searched my heart. I've looked for, you know, and I can't find out Why? You live in the promise of first Peter chapter four, verse 19. Some of you should write this down because you need to hear this. Or if you don't now, you're going to need to hear this at some point or, you know, someone needs to hear this. Here's what first Peter four nineteen says. 
as it relates to suffering. He says, therefore, let those also who suffer according to the will of God entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. He says, even when we don't see this side of the tapestry, even when we're wondering why our hope is not in what we can see and what we can figure out and the wisdom we can come up with. Our hope is in the very character of God who is faithful. First Peter 419 and says he is just, meaning he always does what is right, even if we can't see it on this side of eternity. Now, now, now why is that so important? Because here's why. Often in your lives, in a season of suffering, the precursor to bitterness setting in your heart is stubbornness. Lord, I, Lord, Lord, you have to give me an answer before I can trust you. Lord, you have to show me how this can be used for good and glory. Or I'm just, I don't know that I can fully trust you because I can't see how this is anyone's benefit, especially mine. And stubbornness sets in. I'm not willing to trust God until he shows me why. And so... Let me give you some answers to the question of why, knowing that there are sometimes there is no answer on this side of eternity, that I trust the faithful character of God in doing what is right. First Peter 419. But but here's some general kind of kind of causes that suffering happens in our life. First off is this. We live in a fallen world where sin reigns. We, we live in a fallen sin reigns and the whole creation, scripture says, is cursed. And therefore, the whole creation groans and suffers like a woman in childbirth. Bible says in Romans chapter eight, verse 22, for we know that the whole creation groans and suffers. And so that's why we live in a fallen sin, cursed world. But can I remind you this morning that scripture says this, that when we're in Christ, that, that we shouldn't be too discouraged. Why? Because this world is not our home. We're just traveling through. And if this was all there was, what a depressing life it would be. And so scripture says that the whole creation groans and suffers. And that's why bad things happen to good people. Now, scripture also says to the question of why now, sometimes we suffer uh, because of our own foolishness. Now, in my experience, this is the one that people are the most oblivious to. Like that they just can't figure out the fact that they're the common denominator in all this dysfunction and suffering that's the result of it. Like that, and, and sometimes, like you ever seen people like this where you know, like everyone around looks and goes, well, of course you're suffering. Look, look, you know, look what you're doing, look at the decisions you're making. And they're just sitting back like a martyr. Like, oh, I don't know why God has chosen me for this lot in life. And you're like, he hasn't. All right. Here's what the scripture says. Galatians 6, verses 7 through 9. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. He says, so if you keep making unwise and sinful decisions and you're wondering why the consequence is not God allowing suffering, it's consequences of your unwise decisions. You're just simply sowing when you've reaped to the flesh, you've reaping corruption. Proverbs 13, 15 says this, the way of the transgressor is hard. And so sometimes suffering is the natural overflow of unwise or even sinful uh, decisions. One of our staff sent me this. They saw it on the Internet speaking to this uh, topic. It's not the most gracious way to put it. Uh, but here's what it said. A little plaque they saw. It said everything happens for a reason. Sometimes the reason is you're dumb and you make bad decisions. Like I just said, that, sometimes that's true. You're thinking, what staff member would send such a harsh response? I'm not going to share, but if the Lord brings Chris Anderson to mind, would you pray for him this week, if you would, the Lord would soften his heart? So sometimes, we, we just because of our own uh, choices, we make foolishness. Uh, scripture also says sometimes we suffer because it's God's discipline. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastens everyone he accepts as his son. And so the idea of discipline here is not angry and punitive and all those things. The word discipline in the original language actually is translated out training in righteousness. 
It's God saying, hey, listen, I love you so much. I can't sit back and watch you do this. So I'm going to swoop in, offer some loving training and righteousness because it hurts me too much to see you continually suffer as a result of those decisions uh, that you're making. Listen, God is the only parent who can say with integrity, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. Right. Anybody ever told that lie to your kids? I'm still preaching that lie. Amen. Right. But God says it with integrity. And so the idea here is not an angry God just, you know, wearing you out out of anger. Listen, it's a parent who, who disciplines their child because they watch them run out into traffic. They say, I love you too much for that to happen again. So sometimes suffering is a result of the Lord's discipline because he loves us and uh, wants to train us in righteousness. And lastly, uh, Scripture also teaches sometimes we suffer persecution because of our faith. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, all who desire to live godly, not some not a select group of missionaries in that part of the world. Not, not the, listen, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Second Timothy chapter three, verse 12. All right. So, so those are kind of big picture as we start this series, kind of big picture. Here, here's how God uses suffering. Here's some reasons why God uses suffering, even though sometimes we don't know the answer why. And so those are the big pictures we're going to look at. So for the last few minutes together, I want to dig Go from the macro to the micro and dig into the text here and learn some specific principles as it relates to this living hope uh, that first Peter speaks about. So first Peter, chapter one, uh, verses three through nine, we'll spend our last few minutes together uh, in this text. Chapter three or, or verse three says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his abundant mercy, has begotten us again to a living hope. So if you're one like they're so creative with their sermon titles, we're really not. It's right there in verse three. Okay. To a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not, not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And so this morning, our remaining few minutes together, I just want to walk you through uh, two principles as it relates to suffering and the living hope that we have in Jesus Christ in those seasons of suffering. So here's what I want you to understand this morning, that no matter how bad it gets, no matter how bad it is, these two truths are real from the word of God. So no matter how bad it gets, here's the first thing you've got to keep in front of you is that your story ends in hope. And you may be in the midst of suffering and it may feel incredibly hopeless. Or you know someone else you love who's walking through a season of suffering and it looks totally hopeless. But listen, your story always ends in hope is what the scripture clearly teaches. Uh, many of you have seen on Facebook the post. There's a, a thing on Facebook. It's called a Faith It. And basically, it's like a it's like little stories about faith and kind of inspire people and encourage people, and maybe open up conversations. And so I don't have Facebook, uh, but it's well known fact that I'm a troll on my wife's Facebook. OK, and so sometimes there's a little thing called faith hit. And sometimes it's some really cool stories about people's faith. Sometimes it's like pictures of puppy dogs. So I didn't click on it. Right. But a couple of weeks ago, I was on there and it was a quote uh, from Rob Turner, who's the pastor at Apex Church in Kettering. And, and I know Rob. And so I'm like, oh, that's cool. Rob's on there. They never asked me, but I'm not bitter. But anyway, 
And so I'm like, I'm gonna, this is great. So I look and the quote from Rob uh, said this. Here's what Rob said. He said, even if your life story reads like a horror story, remember that in Christ it is bookended in hope. Can I just tell you that is not only catchy or, or comforting or cliche or all this kind of thing. Can I just tell you that that is true. That scripture says, no matter, listen, if you're going in life apart from Jesus Christ, you're, you're totally hopeless from an eternal perspective. And so on one end of the bookend, you become born again to Jesus Christ and dwelling right inside of you, according to verse three, is a living hope. That everything is new again. You've been forgiven. You're on a new path. You've got new power. You've got new purpose. All those things that your story in Christ always starts in hope. But in the middle, there's going to be some suffering. There's going to be some trials. There's going to be some painful consequences in the middle. It can get totally messed up. And it's in, but here's the thing to remember above all of that is that it starts off in hope in Christ. The middle can get messy, but the other book in is always hope in the eternal promise of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I tell you why that's so important? It's because when the middle gets messy, people get discouraged. And discouragement is often the precursor to doubt. And here's what that sounds like. And if I was really saved, this, this wouldn't be happening. If God was real or he loved me or he and I had a genuine relationship, I've been doing my part. And he, listen, I don't know where God's at in his part, but so if this thing was told. So what happens is discouragement leads to doubt. And how do you counter doubt? Not with emotions. You don't just say, I'm not going to doubt anymore. No, listen, doubt is dispelled by the truth of God's word. And the truth of God's word. So listen, it starts off in hope. Verse three, the middle sometimes is messy. Sometimes the middle is real messy. Amen. And the middle gets messy. But verses four and five say good news. You're bookended in hopes no matter how discouraged or doubtful you get in the middle. The end of your story always ends in hope no matter how messy the middle part is. Can I just share with you this morning? That's good news. You can say amen. Can you try that? Yes. Why? Because that's the truth of God's word. You see, where do you see that at? Look at verse four. What's he say? He says, you have an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled. It does not fade away, reserved for you in heaven. And so every time the enemy discourages you when it's messy in the middle and reminds you about your past, remind him about your future. They say, listen, it's never getting diminished. It can never be corrupted. It can never be defiled. It will never pass away. My name is secure in the book of life for all of eternity. And so my story always ends in hope, no matter how messy it is in the middle. You say, well, that's if I hang on and, and maybe I do my part and God does his part. No, no, no. Listen, here's the good news. God does it all. God, I don't care how messy it gets. I get discouraged. Listen, your story is secure as the father himself. Where do you see that? At? Verse five. Who are kept. Now, what happens when I go through suffering? I get discouraged. And when I get discouraged, I start doubting and I start doubting. Maybe I'm not saved. Okay. What's verse five say? Who are kept? How? By how you feel? No. By your effort? No. If you hang on? No. What's it say? Who are kept? How? By the power of God. Through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Here's the good news. This is so exciting. The good news is this, is that when I lose hope, my ending is never hopeless. And my salvation is as secure as the Father himself. And I know when you're walking through seasons that it's messy in the middle, the discouragement leads to doubt. And every time you start doubting, say, do I really belong to God? Would this happen to someone that belongs to God? God, I've been doing my part and your part. I don't know where you're at, God. Listen, you go back to the truth of God's word. First Peter chapter four, it will never fade away. 
And I don't even have to hang on when I'm weak because God's hanging on for me. Verse five. And so my story always ends in hope, even when it's messy in the middle. It's always bookended in hope. Here's the second thing I want you to see in first Peter chapter two about this. This living hope is this, is that no matter how bad it gets, no matter how bad it gets, God is closer than he has ever been in a season of suffering. God is closer than he's ever been. And suffering you know, teaches just the opposite. So let me tell you two lies that suffering whispers. The first lie that suffering whispers is God has abandoned you. If he was with you, he wouldn't have allowed this to happen. Or if he's with you, then he doesn't care. Either he's unaware, he doesn't care, or he's not there. Is the lie that suffering whispers. But even though it's a common verse, it is a true verse. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 says, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. And so this is very important, so listen closely. It's okay to grieve while suffering. Did, did you know that? Verse 6 says this. First Peter chapter 1, verse 6 says, In this you greatly rejoice that now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. And so if you're grieving, you're thinking, well, it's wrong to grieve because it acts like God's not there. Listen, God wired you up to grieve. I've been at the funeral home sometimes in an incredibly terrible situation with Christians who think, oh, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thinking I wouldn't be. And so scripture says that sometimes we're grieved by our suffering. That's not us declaring that God has totally abandoned us. You say, well, how do you keep grief from turning into despair? Can I, can I just tell you that grief is not sin, but despair is. Because grief is saying, I didn't want this. I wouldn't wish this. I don't, this is uncomfortable. I'm not happy about this. But despair is living with like, like as if God has totally abandoned you. Listen, despair is practical atheism. It's saying, I believe this, but I live this way. And so here, here's the good news. How do you keep this grief from turning into despair? Look at verse six again. What's he say? He says, you greatly rejoice that now for, for what's he said? Look at those three little words for a little while. You know what he's saying there? That this too shall pass. What he's saying there is, is no matter how bad it gets, grief has an expiration date. And so I have a living hope inside of me. God has not abandoned you, which is a lie that's suffering. Let me tell you the second lie that suffering often tells us is that God is punishing you. That was the story of Job's friends. If you read the story of Job, you're familiar with the story of Job. Job's life totally falls apart, loses everything, all of his kids. His wife says, why don't you curse God and die? I mean, just everything falls apart. And then Job has three friends come along and their question is, what would you do? Like if this, you must have done something to make God angry. So he's punishing you. And can I just tell you that Job doesn't have the only three friends who have ever done that. Everybody in this room has had someone come along and sometimes the enemy whispers in our ear. What would you do? If you're suffering, what would you do? Let me give you some good theology this morning. The Bible says this in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That's what Romans 8, 1 says. And the word condemnation in the original language, it literally is translated punishment after condemnation or penalty. You say, like, what does that mean? Speak English. Here's what that means. That once I'm in Jesus Christ and I have a relationship with him, God no longer punishes me punitively. Doesn't happen. That, that well, what about when life gets really hard? Listen, that can be the consequences of the decisions you made. Yes, there are consequences sometimes that are irreversible. But the reason God no longer punishes me when I'm in Christ, according to Romans 8, 1, here's the good news, because Christ bore all the punishment on my behalf. 
And so anytime someone says, well, I just my life is totally falling apart and I have a relationship with Christ, but God must be punishing me as evidence of what's going on. Listen, that's bad theology. That's the exact opposite of what Scripture teaches. God doesn't punish you once you're in Christ. And so it's a lie that God has abandoned you. It's, it's a lie that God is punishing you. But so here's the truth. Why do I say that God is closer than he's ever been in a season of suffering? Because here's the truth of what Scripture teaches is that when I'm walking through a season of suffering, God is working on me. God is getting up close and God is molding me and God is shaping me and God is pruning me and all those kinds of things is that God is working on you. You say, where do you see that? Look at the text. First Peter chapter one, verses six or seven. In this, you greatly rejoice. What an odd thing to say to describe suffering, right? You greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, need to be, you've been grieved by, by various trials. And so he says, you rejoice, you grieve, but at the end of the day, your joy hasn't been diminished. You weren't happy, but your joy wasn't diminished. And you are walking through trials, so, so he's acknowledging that we're suffering. So, so why do we rejoice in that? Because of the text. Look at what it says, verse 7. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire may be found a praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know what that's saying? Is that when seasons of suffering, when I feel like God has abandoned me or He's punishing me, that's not true. As a matter of fact, God is closer than He's ever been. God is getting close. God is allowing the heat to be turned up in your life and to draw you closer to Him, to force you to depend on Him so that the genuineness of your faith can be proven in that season of suffering. Uh, we talk about the illustration. It's an old illustration, but it's so true. And He talks about there about the refiner's fire. That when they want to make pure gold, they put all the, you know, the uh, base gold level and they heat it up and all the uh, impurities come to the top. And that's called dross. And they scrape off the dross and they heat up the gold and more dross come and they scrape it. And eventually, when you get done, it's pure gold. But that gold would never be purified apart from the heat in its, uh, that it's brought to it. Can I tell you this? You'll never be to the place God wants you to be until some heat brings up the impurities in your life. And so when those seasons of suffering come, listen, it's not God abandoning you. It's not God punishing you. It's God moving in close to purify you. And so God is closer than he's ever been. God is working on you in seasons of suffering. God uses suffering to get our attention to accomplish his purpose in our lives. He said, I don't like that. I don't either. Is it anywhere else in Scripture? It's all over Scripture. Let me share with you some verses. Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 4. We know that suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. Did you, did you get that? That the end result of a person who suffers well is that their hope increases. That's exactly what that verse says. James chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Knowing that the testing of your faith, suffering, produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect work, that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. And so he says, one of the reasons God does this is to, to bring about the maturity of your faith, to purify it, to sustain it, to give evidence of the generous of it. So, so, so God has not abandoned you, even if that's what your emotions are telling you. God is not punishing you, even if that's what your friends are telling you. Listen, the truth about suffering, according to the word of God, is God is working on you. God is moving in close. God is molding and shaping. Yes, the refiner's fire can be painful, but God is bringing the impurities out of my life and moving me towards him. During that time. So, so, so here's the question. Listen. If you're not going to lose hope in a season of suffering. The question is not. Is it painful? Let you know a little secret. It is. And if you're focused on the pain of your suffering. You will lose hope. Because sometimes that pain can stay for a long time. So that's not the question. The question in suffering is not if it's painful. The question in suffering is. Is it profitable? 
Is it profitable? Can God use it? The scripture says in Romans 5, yes. Can God use it? James chapter 1, yes. Can God use it? First uh, Peter chapter 1, verses 6, 7. Absolutely. So it's not, listen, it's not a question if it's painful. I know that it is sometimes. Is it profitable? Yes. God used it to grow our character during that time for my good and his glory. So here's the most important question. We talked about this at the opening of the series on living hope. Most important question. Do you have hope? You see, because I meet a lot of people who have hope so, but not hope. And you may be thinking, I hope so. Can I just say that you, you can know so? Because the source of your hope is right here in the text in verse 3. What, what does it say? Where does all this hope we're talking about come from? What's verse 3 say? He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope. Here's how. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now listen, I hate to be the bearer of bad news this morning, but what that text tells me, what that verse tells me is this, is if you don't have a relationship with a resurrected Savior, then your future is hopeless. And I'm not talking about your five-year plan or your ten-year plan. I'm talking about your hundred-year plan, which at the end of the day is the only one that matters. Do you have hope because you have a relationship with a resurrected Savior that verse 3 talks about? This little boy named David, two years old, had leukemia. He was taken by his mother, Deborah, to Massachusetts General Hospital in Boston to see Dr. John Truman, who specialized in treating children with cancer and various blood diseases. And Dr. Truman's prognosis was just devastating. The family said, little David has a 50-50 chance of living. Countless clinic visits and blood tests and intravenous drugs and the fear and and the pain, the mother's ordeal can, can almost be as bad as the child's because she has to stand by, unable to bear the pain herself. But David never cried in the waiting room. And although his friends in the clinic had to hurt him and stick needles in him, he hustled in ahead of his mother with a smile, sure of the welcome he always got. When David was three, he had to have a spinal tap. Painful at any age. And it was explained to him that because he was sick, Dr. Truman had to do something to make him better. And his mother said, if it hurts, remember it's because he loves you. He was horrendous. It took three nurses to hold little David down. He yelled, he sobbed, he struggled. And when it was almost over, the tiny boy soaked in sweat and tears, looked up at the doctor and gasped, thank you, Dr. Tuman, for my hurting. See, it's my prayer as we begin this journey through 1 Peter that God would grow our character to the point where we can say with integrity to a watching world, thank you, great physician, for my hurting. And even though it's painful, it is profitable. And so thank you, Father, for reminding me that you are still working on me to make me what I ought to be. Would you bow your heads this morning?